scripture reading this morning will be taken from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. That can be found on page 881 in the Bible in the pews. It's Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountains which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, it it encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. Immersed. We hope that you will join us this year in being immersed in the will of God. Our goal as a congregation is every one of us would be absorbed into the will of God, that we would submit our life totally in every way to the will of God. Last month, we talked about being immersed into discipleship, and this month we'll blend that topic of being immersed into discipleship to also the monthly topic of being immersed into missions. Last Sunday, we had a tremendous Mission Sunday. It's reminding us of the blessing that God gives us to be involved in so many mission works and also the responsibility that God gives us with these blessings. And I hope that you're prayerful. That's why the uh, bookmarks were passed out last week and those are still scattered throughout windowsills and also throughout the foyer. And hope that you have one of those and that you become so familiar with our missionaries and mission points that a frequent part of your prayer life is the aspect of fervently praying for the Great Commission to be successful, for us as a congregation to be successful in carrying out this commission. As we think about this Great Commission today, a text has been capably read that probably many of us have heard many times throughout our life. I think about a story that Gary McIntosh uh, Told in an introduction of a chapter of, of a particular chapter in a book that he's written about biblical church growth. And he says, I was in the kitchen talking to one of my close friends and the phone rang and, and I could tell that it was a very important conversation that was probably going to become lengthy. And so he says, I just kindly excused myself out of the kitchen into the living room to give him privacy. And when I did, his doorbell rang. So I opened his door and And this young man steps in and he introduces himself as a pastor of a newly planted church that's only a couple years old, just down the street. And he was excited about his church plant. And in his description of it, he said, this past year we've had 385 people come to Jesus and be saved. And Gary says, "That, that sounds really great. He says, now where's your location and how many do you have meeting now? And he says, describe the location. And then he said, and we have 85 meeting. Now think about that for a moment. 385 just in the past 12 months. Here is a man out in a a stranger's living room in the middle of the week. Were they going? 
Absolutely they were going. Were they concerned about others' salvation? Yes, they were concerned about others' salvation. Now, could we say they had fulfilled the Great Commission? Today, I hope that every one of us individually and congregationally are convicted as to really what is the Great Commission. Is it just making sure someone is baptized? So we had over 40 baptisms last year. Did we fulfill the Great Commission? We went to several mission points last year and had several more baptisms. Did we fulfill the Great Commission? We sent individuals into the local jail. Did we fulfill the Great Commission? Let's illustrate it in a way that is totally secular. What do you call a good restaurant? You know, we, we kind of, in, in the office, we kind of have this little joke about this restaurant that we used to go to. Hardly ever do we go to it now. But, but we would only go to this restaurant occasionally, and the only reason we go to it is because we love their food. Their service was terrible. You knew that when you were seated, there was always going to be a 10 or 15 minute gap somewhere. It was that once you were seated, you had to wait 15 minutes to order. Or once you ordered, you had to wait 35 minutes to get your food. Or once you got your food, you'd have to wait 15 more minutes to get a refill on your drink. Or once you were waiting for the check, you'd have to wait 15 minutes for the check. There was always these huge time blocks that made no sense. So I ask you again, what's a good restaurant? In your mind, if it's nasty, is it a good restaurant? Or what about if it's just real good service? Is it a good restaurant? Or what about if just the food is delicious? Is it a good restaurant? Now, I'm not saying that any of us in here, although there would probably be just a few in here that are experts in restaurants, I think all of us would agree upon the fact that a real good start to a good restaurant is that it is clean, offers good service, and delicious food. The cleanliness appeals to your eye. As you walk in, the good service warms you and says, I want to stick around here, I like it. And when the delicious food is delivered, followed up with even more good service, we say, I want to come back here again sometime. Now, what about the Great Commission? What if somebody told you that they knew everything about marriage and they were referring only to the fact that they were married last week and they had a great wedding? How many of you would smile and say, you know what? It's good that you had a great wedding, but you still don't know a lot about marriage. What about if, if someone just gave birth to their very first child and, and, and it was a week ago and they said, oh, we can tell you everything about parenting. Well, the birthing process is, is huge. It's important. It's great. It's one of the most memorable occasions of our life as a parent. But any of us parents here would also admit that that's not the end of the process. Do you see the point I'm driving home over and over? What's the Great Commission? I'm not talking about our words. What do we think it is? I'm asking you to go back and look again in the Scriptures. When Jesus gave this Great Commission, was it just baptized? Just get people started? Or was it an entire process that the Lord commanded? Tonight, we're going to come back and we're going to have kind of a part two to this lesson. But the truth is, tonight we're going to hang out more in verse 16, 17, and 18, which is really part two is just 
hey, let's look at the background of this great commission. Let's look to the introduction of this great commission. And if you'll come back tonight, you're going to see in the 16th verse that Jesus kept an appointment. And our life, if we are a disciple, is all about keeping the right appointments. And we're also going to see in verse 17 and 18 that it's also about authority. Before Jesus gave the great commission in 19 and 20, in verse 18, he spoke of authority. And he said, reminding them that all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Now pause there for a moment. Do you see what he's doing? This man has just been resurrected from the grave. He's only lived on this earth 40 days after his resurrection. He is about to ascend into heaven. What do you think he's going to talk about? I doubt Jesus spent a lot of time small talking those last 40 days. And just before he ascends into heaven, he's probably not going to talk about some lighthearted things or some things that aren't as nearly important as the important things. So what is it that Jesus is going to say? He's about to ascend into heaven. He's just reminded them, I can say this because all authority, heaven and earth, has been given to me. And he says, I want you to go around the world and I want you to feed the poor. Is that what he said? He said, I tell you what, I want you to go and I want you to worship every first day of the week. Worship in spirit and in truth. Is that what he said? Or did he say, I want to go back to the first and greatest commandment. I want you to love God with all your being. Now, friends, I'm not taking away from the importance of those two commands and even the good to go around and and to do benevolent things like feeding the hungry. But do you see the importance here? Out of everything that he could have said at this point, what did he say? All authority, heaven and earth has been given to me. I'm not going to be here much longer. You're about to watch me ascend into heaven. I have to leave you with something very important. What is it? I want to go to just the main verb. In this passage, and you know what he says? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Make disciples. Now yes, he places three participles around this that helps us understand what it means to make disciples. But look again there at verse 18 and 19. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Look again there. He, he has said in 18 that all authority has been given to him. And now look at 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So what is it that he wants us to do? He says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples. Now, I wish we had time, and and we don't have time, and and several weeks ago, I just alluded to this, and I'll just have to allude to it again, but maybe one day we can slow up at this passage. I want to remind you what Jesus taught about when he taught about discipleship, because I want you to see, when Jesus talks about discipleship, he's not just talking about, hey, could I interest you in a baptism? I'm not making light of baptism. I'm simply saying, in the Lord's eyes, discipleship is so much more than just the beginning of the Christian walk. Discipleship is about whether or not someone is ready to come and give their all to the Lord. I don't have a slide for this, but if you want to drop back to Luke the 14th chapter, we'll scan just a few verses here. You remember in Luke the 14th chapter, Jesus is teaching what individuals would do if they were to become disciples of his. And then he tells there are three things that if they are not willing to do these things, 
He says, you cannot be my disciple. You see there in 26, if anyone, this is Luke 14, 26, it's page 924, the Bible is in your pew, 924, and it's Luke the 14th chapter 26. If anyone comes to me, Jesus saying this, and does not hate, literally means, in, this, in the original Greek there, literally means love less. And so you come to me unless you love less your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now keep in mind, this was taught before that time of the ascension. And so they understood clearly when the Lord says, I want you to go out and make disciples. Well, we're not for sure. No, they knew what that meant. That meant you went out and you looked for people that would be so loyal to Jesus that they would love Jesus more than they love their spouse. They would love God more than they love their mother and father or their children. They would have a loyalty stronger than a brother and sister type loyalty. And he says, if you're not willing to do that, you can't be my disciple. Now think about this great commission. What's the great commission? I want you to go out and make disciples. What are we doing to help each other? If there's a first time guest here this morning, our question as a congregation has to be toward you. What could we do to teach you, to be an example to you, to encourage you to become a disciple of Jesus? As a parent, I have to be asking myself, what am I doing to make sure that my children are being made into disciples? What is a disciple? It's one that is taught to love God more than any relationship on this earth. But notice the second thing that he taught there in verse 27. And whoever does not hear or bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What's the cross? It's placed crucifixion. We bear our cross. It's the crucifying of self-will. Remember, the first thing was we have to love God more than anybody else. The second one, we have to love the will of God, submit to the will of God, even before we submit to our own will. And if not, we cannot be a disciple. I'm not suggesting to you that, that this is the personality of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I'm just saying, if our mindset has ever been, well, we've just got to get somebody baptized. We've just got to get, so-and-so has never been baptized. We've just got to get them baptized. Find that kind of theology in the Scriptures. Find that kind of shallowness in the Scriptures. You know what the Lord is looking for? The Lord is looking for people that can make disciples. Disciples are individuals that's not just, that had their arm twisted to get into some water even though the importance of baptism cannot be overemphasized, there is so much more to discipleship than just the beginning. It would be just like if I tried to stand before you today and made an argument that, that, that the wholeness of marriage is just the wedding day, that the, the entirety of, of parenting is childbirth. And, and all of us would say, that's not so. Baptism is not the entirety of discipleship. And so what are we supposed to be? The Lord is giving this great commission, and He says, I want you to become people that make disciples. And then finally, He urges, counting the cost in verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What is this forsaking all? He's literally saying, before you take a step and say, okay, I'd like to be baptized. I'd like to begin this journey. Jesus is actually saying, whoa, 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 don't step so fast. 
Have you considered the cost of this journey? Sure, it's just change clothes and, and I'm just baptized. And No, no, no. This entrance through baptism is the beginning of a commitment to become a disciple. Have you counted that cost? Have you counted the cost of, of being loyal to God above all others? Have you counted the cost of every day getting up and crucifying self-will to fulfill the will of God in your life. And Jesus is literally saying, I'm not going to accept you as a disciple if you're not willing to count the cost and come in wholly submitting to me as your Lord. Now we go back to this text in Matthew, the 28th chapter. And notice... That active verb there, make disciples. He's giving the command, go into all the world and and make disciples to all nations, making disciples. But did you notice those three participles that surround? You notice there in 19, go. And you notice also in the middle of 19, baptizing. And then did you notice in the beginning of 20, teaching them to observe all things? You see, when, when we think about that restaurant again, which one do you want? Do you want to go in a restaurant that's just clean? Horrible service? Horrible food? Which one of these do we want as a church family? Are we content to say, hey, we're a church that goes. Have, have you seen our mission report? Have you seen all the places we go? What kind of shame would it be if we did go and we did baptize but we gave little emphasis or concern to whether or not individuals were matured. Friends, the hopes in us studying this lesson together is that all of us would walk out of here with an individual concern. What am I doing to making sure that I'm going, whether it's going home today and being concerned about whether or not we're disciples in my family, whether I'm going to school tomorrow, and making sure that, that I'm living my life for, among others, that, that they could see the good works of the Lord living in me and glorify Him, and maybe they would want to become a disciple. Are we concerned about others' salvation, baptism? Are we concerned about others' maturing, the maturation? Are we concerned about that? And then as a congregation, do you realize that our eldership, to fulfill God's will, they have to be concerned about all three of these. What if we had a lot of programs of work in the first two and none in the third? Bible class teachers, we need to be concerned about all three of these. Deacons working together as a whole needs to make sure that as a whole, all three of these are being fulfilled. So let's think about these for, for just a few minutes here, each one. Think about that idea of go. And, and if you still have your Bible open, look how it is between verse 18. We have Jesus saying all authority has been given. And then once he's established that, he says go. And then immediately we have the word therefore. You remember any time you see the word therefore, you stop and ask why is it therefore? And it always links what has just been said with what is about to be said. Now, what has just been said? What's just been said, Jesus saying, I have the authority 
to tell you to go. Therefore, in other words, now that I have the authority to tell you to go, make disciples. So this word go comes with great authority. In other words, there is an urgency to this command because of the setting where that word falls. This is the first word after Jesus establishes his authority to say, I have the authority to command this. I want you to go. Isn't it great to be in a congregation where if you just look around you, at least one out of every ten persons sitting around you will go on a campaign this year. Every year, one-tenth of this congregation goes on a campaign. Now, if, if we said, hey, how many of you have been on a campaign? It would probably be 30, 40, 50 percent of you. Isn't it wonderful? It may not be for everybody to go on a short-term mission trip. I want to suggest to you to give that some thought and prayer. It may be exactly what the Lord's kingdom needs, and it may be exactly what you need in your life. It's to go. Not all of us have to go to a foreign field. All of us need to go to our home with souls on our mind. All of us need to go to school and to work tomorrow with souls on our mind. We need to go throughout our community and among our friends with souls on our mind. There is an urgency to this. Souls need to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you ask Jesus, how is it that you expect for the whole world to be reached? He looks at you and I and he says, it's on you. I've given that responsibility to you. And friends, that's a sobering thought. Now tonight we're going to see at the end of this comes also a promise that he's with us until the end of the age. And so it's not that he says, I'm putting this responsibility on you and you're by yourself. But the reality is, we as a church have a huge responsibility. We are to go. Now this urgency is also given a broad spectrum as we look around the world. Because he says he wants us to go and make disciples of whom? Of all the nations. There's not a tribe on this earth that the Lord does not expect the church to reach. Just in case you were daydreaming... Let me say that again, because you and I will not hear a heavier responsibility over the next few days than this. There's not a tribe on the face of this earth that the Lord does not expect the church to reach. There's not a house on your street that the Lord does not expect the church, that's you and I, the people, the disciples, He does not expect the disciples to reach. There's not a house on your street that He doesn't expect you to reach out to, or someone in this church family. The Lord expects every race, every person, every social class, every status, no matter what their intellect, no matter what continent they live on, God expects the church to reach them. And you want to know how far off we are on accepting that responsibility? Every time I get this question, one of the most frequent asked questions I have in individual studies What do you think that God is going to do to those people who maybe are in some tribe over in Africa or they're somewhere on some continent where the gospel has never been taken to them? What do you think the Lord is going to do to them on the day of judgment? Answering that is one thing. 
But then in answering it, I always come back to the real dilemma. Do you realize that question is literally an indictment upon the church? Every time that question is asked, it is a huge flare going up to say, See, you still haven't gotten it, have you, church? You still are satisfied to let tribes around the world not hear the only message that matters. The answer, the cure to cancer doesn't matter compared to this one. Whether or not our children are educated doesn't matter compared to this one. Whether or not they have food in their stomach doesn't matter compared to this one. Have we as a church gone into all the world to make disciples? And I hope our heart breaks. I hope it keeps us up some nights. And I hope we raise up a next generation of church leaders that pushes further into the world than what we have ever done. And I long to see the day that the church can rejoice that there is not a community in this world where disciples have not gone into that community and made disciples of Jesus Christ. Our responsibility to go, it begins at home. It begins on our street. And it doesn't end until every community is reached. He says, go, therefore. And he says, make disciples in all nations, baptizing them. Now, what is this baptism? Well, it's so important that in Ephesians 4, when he lists only seven ones, and each member of the Godhead makes up three of those ones, and the church is another one of those ones, and then he talks about one hope and one faith and one baptism. Is it important? Absolutely it's important. As a matter of fact, it is the time when we have God here and man here, and sin is separating the two. That's spiritual death. What can we do to have this sin removed? Jesus died on the cross to have this sin removed. What's my response to that? I need to believe that Jesus is the Savior. I need to be willing to repent, turn away from sins. I don't need to be ashamed. I need to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I need to be baptized. Why? To wash those sins away. The Lord will forgive us of sins. When? Where? He'll forgive us of sins when we are baptized. It's in the waters of baptism that our sins are taken away according to God. And so no wonder he refers to the last point in time where a person steps out of the world, notice this, into Christ, Galatians 3 and 27 and Romans 6 and 3. What is baptism? It's the point in time that we're saved. It is the point in time that, that we leave the world and we come into Christ. It's the point in time that we leave self-will and we step into the church, a place of the saved that practices the will of our Lord. This baptism, it's so important because as it's placed in this commission, He's telling us as you go into the world, that's ultimately what you're wanting to do is see if individuals are willing to leave the world and come into Christ. Are you willing to be baptized? 
I see Buddy Pickler sitting on this wall to the left. I want to tell you something that, that if you've never seen, it would just touch your heart. In a few weeks, there'll be 60 of us from the U.S., and we'll join up with probably 30, 40, 50 more in Latin America, and we'll be on the soil in El Salvador, and we'll have a medical team. And we'll have doctors, with an S, doctors, nurses, a dentist, several other medical staff that will join us from the U.S., and they'll travel down. And every morning, we'll have a devotional together. And the question will be asked by almost every morning, by either Buddy or one of the other leaders. All day long, these people are going to see patients and help them with their physical needs. But the question will be asked, what is the number one priority today? And the whole group, the medical staff, just as loud as anybody else will say, save souls. I know that there are groups that call themselves mission trips, where they take medical teams down and they help people with their physical ailments. I know there's teams that that take groups down and they help build homes. I know there's teams that go and, and they help supply food. But if there is not an element within that trip to bring people to the Lord, it is not fulfilling the Great Commission. Oh, preacher, so you think it's a sin? No, not at all. I don't think it's a sin to go down and and, and offer medical help to someone who needs it. I don't think it's wrong to go down and try to help build a house for somebody that needs it. All I'm saying is, let's not confuse that with the Great Commission. The Great Commission is when we go and everything we do is about bringing souls to the point of saying, I want to be baptized because I want to be a disciple. Friends, why do you interact with your neighbors on your street? Is it only to be a good neighbor and it stops there? Why do you interact with your co-worker? Is it just to be a good co-worker and it stops there? Or do you, like Jesus, see everybody as a soul? You go and your interaction in their life is because eventually you want them to crack open that door in their heart where they say, you have something I don't have. What is it? And the smile crosses your face and you say, it's the Lord. You want me to tell you about Him? There's no greater gift than the gift of Jesus Christ. And teach. Go, baptize, but notice we have to continue to teach. That's the maturation. That, what do we teach? Teaching them, notice to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Now, notice that teaching them to observe all things. Notice he didn't just say teaching them all things I've commanded you. If I illustrate this from a physical aspect, I'll start on these toes and I might hit a few other toes. Several of us here could say, I have learned what I need to do to stay in better physical shape. I have learned the way I should eat to stay in better physical shape, the way I should exercise to stay in better uh, physical shape, but I haven't observed it. And think about our responsibility. We are supposed to help make disciples. We've gone. We've baptized someone. What's next? As they come out of the water, we're supposed to be involved in their life 
so that we can help them learn to observe all things that the Lord has taught. In other words, we don't want them to just be able to say, I know the books of the Bible. It's a great start. Oh, I I know some things that the Lord expects of me. No. As disciples, we urge each other to observe what the Lord has taught. And what about this new life? Yes, we're going to have to learn about, as someone's just been baptized in Christ, we're going to have to learn a new religion. What is the Lord's church? We're going to have to learn a new morality standard. I've been living by the works of the flesh. Now I need to learn about the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to have to learn about a new responsibility we have into our new family. Now we are a church family. Now we are God's family. Listen, as a church family, just like we have the responsibility to go and we have the responsibility to baptize, we have just as strong a responsibility to say, we want to help you learn. We want to help you be assimilated in the body of Christ. We want to help you finish this Christian walk. Tonight, I know I mentioned a lot of things we got planned tonight, and we'll come back for a two-hour sermon, okay? Tonight, tonight, hopefully we'll spend just a couple of minutes at looking at this next column. But for right now, uh, let me just jump down and close by telling you some things that I've learned today. Number one, I've learned that the Great Commission is all about making disciples. Number two, I've learned that it's a balancing act for a congregation. If we get hung up on any one of these columns, if we just get hung up on the going or just on the baptizing and we miss the teaching, we're missing the great commission. And number three, I learned that making disciples is what disciples do. This morning, could we ask any question more important than are you a disciple? If you're not, you're missing it all. And if we as a church family aren't asking you that and we're not encouraging you to become that, we're missing it all. And so this morning we're going to sing a song of encouragement and and you're going to hear hundreds of voices sing in unison and in prayer and in hopes that if you're not a disciple, that you would become one this morning, baptized into Christ, ready to live your life for Him. Maybe you've become a Christian, but along the way, you've stopped observing what the Lord has taught. There's nothing simple or easy about persistence. But that's what the Lord wants. He wants us to continue, to finish. If you need to confess sin, if you need to start again, everybody here will understand that. We've all struggled with that. But let's make sure that we leave here today as faithful disciples. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.